Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session, the weekly jazz interview show. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. The Jazz Session is also available for free at thejazzsession.com and in iTunes. I'm very excited about this week's show. If you've listened to this show in the past, and seems like chances are likely that you have, then you know that the opening theme and the closing theme of this show are both performed and written by the Respect Sextet online at respectsextet.com. Uh, I have known the guys in the Respect Sextet almost as long as they've been a sextet, and uh, I'm really, really excited that they're on the show this week. I just attended a fantastic concert that they did at Le Poisson Rouge uh, in New York City, which is where the Village Gate used to be. It was standing room only, absolutely packed. The show was incredible, and the band was at the top of its form. And uh, before the show, I had a chance to sit down in the green room with the guys and uh, record this interview. So I-, I couldn't be any happier bringing this music to you. These are six uh, of the finest musicians going, in my opinion, and they really deserve every bit of recognition they're now getting after putting in nearly a decade of work into keeping this band alive, keeping it fresh, keeping it relevant, and finding new music to explore. Their new album, Serious Respect, looks at the music of Karl-Heinz Stockhausen and Sun Ra, and from it, this is the opening track called Jet Flight. My guests are the members of the Respect Sextet. They have a CD release party uh, just about two hours from now at uh, Le Poisson Rouge, which is where the Village Gate uh, used to be in New York City. And uh, it's my pleasure to welcome you guys all to the show. And I thought the easiest thing would, to do would be to just go down the line and have you each introduce yourselves. So uh, go for it. 
My name's Eli Asher, and I play trumpet in respect. This is Ted Poor, and I play the drums. And I'm Red Waringa. I play piano and keyboards and occasional respectronics, <laughs> as I like to call them. This is Malcolm Kirby on bass. <laughs> this is Josh Rutner, uh, reeds and, uh, and radio. <laughs> Very nice. Well, let's uh, let's start off tonight, uh, and maybe uh, Red, since you're holding the mic, you can start with you. Uh, can you talk about the two composers whose music you're playing tonight, and why Respect chose to feature them on the new album, Serious Respect? Well, uh, we wanted to uh, feature the music of Sun Ra and Karl Heinz Stockhausen um, to explore uh, the the similarities that inform their work. Um, for one, most generally, is that they both dealt with uh, the concept of space and at various points both claimed to be from uh, space. Um, so we wanted to explore how that influenced their music. Space as in outer space, not dimension and volume. Yes, and uh, yes outer space. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and, you know, for the last several years, we've been doing completely original music, which we absolutely love to do. Uh, we thought it'd be fun to just try a, a special project like this, pairing the music of Stockhausen, who was... Uh, a white European um, composer, you, you know, very high class um, with a significant cultural cachet. Um, and then you had Sun Ra, who's an African-American jazz musician, um, you know, who who was growing up in Birmingham, you know, pre-civil rights era. So we wanted to sort of explore both the similarities and the differences between the, the, the two musicians. As you guys were recording the record or choosing the music, and, and anybody, whoever's most appropriate, can answer this, did you come across some unexpected difficulties? And was it shoehorning these guys together? Did they fit well? I mean, what, what was the process? Well, um, there were definitely some, some issues with finding music that was appropriate for Respect to play. Um, for one, um, specifically, Stockhausen's output is just so immense, and so much of it is uh, for specific instrumentation, often large ensembles, often involving um, tape pieces or uh, specific uses of electronics. Um, sometimes his pieces involve specific staging. Um, so a lot of his work was just very hard to translate to, you know, six-piece, basically, you know, a free jazz group. Um, with Sun Ra's music, a lot of it, um, some of the early stuff in particular, um, is is somewhat through composed and to really get the the full piece um the way he, he was approaching it as an arranger big band arranger basically um we, we would also have to pare it down so we we tried to find things that were um, flexible in nature most of the stockhausen stuff that we we chose were um, the intuitive pieces which are basically um directions written text um, that suggests how to play um, and we also have done uh, a number of the Tear Christ pieces, which are 12 melodies based on the Zodiac. And uh, each melody um, is about a half, half a minute or a minute long. And Stockhausen himself suggests that you play the piece through several times, um, improvising um, in a way, or he, he calls it variation, and actually uh, talks about specific techniques of variation to use over these, these pieces. Um, so in a way, that's not so far removed from, you know, playing a jazz standard. You have a set form and you vary um, the music in a certain way. Can we step back from the album for a second, Josh, and just talk a little bit about how Respect got together and where you guys got your start? Uh, yeah, it's 
I, it's always been a very interesting story for me um, to th to look back. I've never been involved in a group this long. Um, basically, uh, as I recall, and I could certainly be corrected, um, when we were freshmen, uh, when that is when Ted and I uh, and James were freshmen at the Eastman School of Music, um, I, I recall there was another group that, that got this weekly gig at a coffee shop. Um, and throughout that year, I was thinking, like, that'd be really fun, like, being able to play every week, um, essentially next door to where everyone lives, so you could tell your friends, hey, come out, we're playing on Wednesday nights. Uh, and so I, I took it upon myself over that year to kind of, um, you know, try to find a way to make that happen. Um, and it worked, and it was, you know, like, it was sort of under the, it was like my group for a little bit. Um, and then we had this, we had these things called combos at uh, the Eastman School of Music. I think they now call them jazz performance workshops. Um, <laughs> uh, you can't charge as much for combos. That's correct. Yeah. That's right. You know, uh, these are the times. Um, but anyway, we had, we had these combos, and, and the combo that I was in was, was essentially respect. Um, was it Ted, Ted, you weren't the drummer? Um, and, but we had uh, our original trumpet player, Garrett Michelson, was in it. And it was essentially respect without Ted on drums and with uh, Ryan Ferreira on guitar. Ryan would appear on our uh, first full-length album uh, playing the Mentos jingle with us. Um, so he would make the appear eventually. Anyway, we just decided one night, hey, uh, why don't, you know, Garrett and Red, who weren't playing at the time, why don't you guys come join us? Um, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Red, Garrett and Red, yes. Why don't you come join us? Uh, we, we had that first gig. It felt great. Um, we played for a couple weeks after that, and I remember one night, uh, you know, Red, Red was kind of known to have said respect for... A long time. It was um, a little in in joke regarding um, an Adam Sandler routine, um, and I remember asking him like, "That'd be funny if we called it respect." You know, can we call it respect? And I remember asking permission. It was sort of like you know, like a hand in marriage kind of thing. Like, you know, would you mind if? Uh... And of course, I said yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. And De Beers has always been with us ever since. Yeah, the green room beers. Uh, but, but anyway, that, that was the beginning. Um, Garrett eventually moved uh, back to the West Coast, and there was a, a really uh, a great time thinking of, you know, who should we, you know, we like the idea of the sextet. We like spreading the pain really thin. Um, so it's, you know, it's like easier to take chances, this kind of thing, uh, who, but it wasn't so much about like, we have to find a trumpet player. I, rem I remember that specifically we discussed, you know, having a friend of ours play laptop or have like another saxophonist or anything. It was really just about a personality and, uh, we all loved and continue to love Eli. And so here, here Eli is, uh, since I guess 2002 or so. Uh, this is red. Uh, I just wanted to add that the, uh, experience of, uh, most of us playing in the jazz performance workshop as part of school, uh, meeting twice a week, and then playing a gig um, once a week um, it was just a really special opportunity. We had um, basically two rehearsals a week just to bring in new music, um, to, to practice ways of improvising, um, to make up games, improvisational games, um, listening games. And then we would show up Wednesday night at, at this coffee shop and, and play basically whatever we wanted to for two, uh, two and a half hours. And we would always bring in new music, try out new things. 
and it was a free gig in that, you know, we could do basically whatever we wanted and we didn't get paid. So um, looking back on it now, it was just a really great opportunity for us at the time, and I think it's played a very, uh, very strong role in how the band has developed. Like, can I turn to you now and just ask, uh, what is it about this particular band and the material that you guys play that is kind of fulfilling for you, or what outlet does it give you that maybe other things that you do don't? I can feel that I, as a trumpet player, I can do almost anything in respect, and as a composer, I can bring in just about anything for respect. Um, over the years, I think I've maybe pushed it a little bit, like conceptually. Um, in, in what way? Talk a little bit more. Well, I mean, I came out of... Actually, this is interesting. Uh, I came out of, like, wh when I was in college, you know, I had some friends who were, like, pretty heavy into, like, avant-garde, uh, both composed music and also improvised music. So when I got to um, Eastman and saw, you know, you know, my second year in a master's degree, these guys were, you know, working through... Um, you know, different ways of playing music, uh, stuff that's kind of outside the jazz canon, like um, bending forms around, like being very free about what they can play and what they want to play. Uh, I was I was pretty excited, you know, and it was really great for me because, like, I'd already been, you know, involved in some stuff. And uh, I got to kind of, like, watch this evolution of, like, conceptual evolution of, like, people, like, working out this thing. And it turned out to be you know, what Respect had was unique, you know, in its own way to the stuff that I had been involved with, which was more kind of like, I guess more like classical improvisation. Not that I was like super into that, but I have, it was definitely a formative experience for me. Um, so I think part of that, uh, you know, when I think of Respect, it's like, what it, <laughs> Uh, don't criticize me for saying this, but this is like the jazz version of that to me. It's like, it's still a jazz sextet. It's like, we can really swing, we can really play some grooves, 
We can play some smooth jazz. We can play, you know, a song that the audience is going to love. Like, we've had people write in about a couple of the tracks on the new album. They're like, man, these tracks are really great. It's like, and I just really love that. But also, we can push that. It's like we can take some of the elements of jazz and straight-ahead jazz and not only, like, I think really respect them and really, like, play the mess out of them, but also, like, you know, some of our our role models, people like Misha Mengelberg, at the same time as, you know, really getting into them, also being able to push and pull and, like, do some interesting and fun and hilarious conceptual things at the same time. So I, as, like, I came out of jazz, like, I was the bebop guy, you know, in high school, and so this is this is close to my heart, and, like, I really appreciate it, and, like, I still relish it. Like, it's been how many years now? Like uh, eight, right? Eight, yeah, nine, eight, yeah, I think eight years for me. So, yeah, it's still really great. So, uh, still always looking forward. So that's great. Can we go to Malcolm in the in the corner here. Uh, not in the middle, I said to you. Malcolm, can you can you talk a little bit about what the the role of a bassist is with music like you're playing tonight? It seems like uh, it seems like you have a, a a particular, maybe specialized role, given everything that's happening around you. Can you talk a little bit about where you feel you kind of fit into this music? Yeah, I, th- I think it's probably a unique position. You know, a lot of it having to do with the, the history we do have. I mean, we played together for a long time, especially you know Josh, Ted, and Red, and I. You know, we've been playing together since you know teenage years and stuff. So you know, there's kind of a trust. So I mean, the bass. I think in this group, it, I have a lot of freedom to kind of do things and have people react to that in a way that's positive as opposed to throwing down a dark vibe and then, you know, not calling me back and stuff, <laughs> but, um, you know, or whatnot, but like, you know, so it's, and that's encouraged, you know, which makes this group a lot of fun to play with, you know, and it's, it's, you know, yeah, there are moments where it's, you just got to kind of hold it down and let people do their thing on top and anchor the, you know, the thing in, but it's a very, it's a constant dialogue going on, you know, we'll have a roadmap of what we're going to do and then it changes up and then it can go completely one way by you know the way someone takes it and so the bass is is there traditionally yeah to do what it does but you know we also stretch it out into real textural areas that you know i think i think really keep keep it exciting and keep it keeping it fun to play this music with these guys so it's and yeah. you're involved in lots of different kinds of music uh, as a as a producer and and writer in various commercial ways as well and i wonder is there do you find that some of those elements work their way into a respect gig as well, or the other way around. Do you find that what you do in respect informs what you do outside? I think it's all connected. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you know, yeah, for sure. But my my thing is probably more groove dominated for the most part all the time. So I think you know, and I, I think originally when we used to play, especially like Josh Rutner quartet type thing, it was it was really groove heavy a lot of it, and the improvisational thing didn't quite come into it so much. So now it's you know, there, there's a lot of things. I see potential for a lot of things kind of moving into this now, especially with the kind of electronic side that's really starting to dominate with what Red's getting into. And, and so, yeah, there's... I'm seeing a lot of things that I should bring into this that I haven't really yet, so I think that's probably... I feel guilty about that in a lot of ways. So, <laughs> But no, it's, it's, it's all, it all connects on some level, I think. Yeah. I didn't mean this to be an intervention no, or no, anything, I, so... <laughs> hey, man, listen. I'm going to see you after the gig, son. <laughs>
Let's go down to Ted if we can. You have uh, uh, always a pretty interesting bag of uh, additional percussion instruments, and uh, someone, I can't remember who it was, but one of your, your bandmates tonight said when the Colombian drone came out, that thing looks like it came out of the jungle. <laughs> can, you, can you talk a little bit about uh, kind of the palette that you use in respect? And Well, I have to say I've been handily surpassed by my bandmates in terms of the the, the number of, of toys and various noisemakers. So um, I've, I guess um, I have it whittled down at this point to like a few little bell type shaker things, <laughs> you know, vague ethnic, whatever, what have you. Um, <laughs> there's, there's nothing there. Um, Red has purchased a couple of gongs recently, which I'll be using one of those tonight. Um, uh, the, this Colombian drum, the tamboro, I, uh, I, I got because I was playing with uh, Lucia Pulido, who's a great Colombian singer, and uh, that's a band that mixes traditional Colombian rhythms and vocabulary uh, with improvisation uh, somewhat in the jazz context. Um, so I, I was learning that language and that vocabulary and learning to mix the sound of that drum in with the drum set, and I happened to bring it to the recording session for for this latest record and um and it lent itself well to some of the the, the grooves and the and the textural things so I, I brought it tonight but other than that it's really just a regular drum set with a couple cymbals and and then i just hit all the different parts of it yeah. <laughs> sun ra's music is uh very percussion driven in, yeah. in many respects and often that's the result of three or four or five or everybody in the band playing percussion at one time can sure. you talk a little bit about how uh either what inspiration you took for that or kind of how you see yourself fitting into the, the Sun Ra tunes in particular? Um, well, it's a great feeling because the same thing happens in Respect where I'll look up and everyone else in the band basically is playing some kind of percussion and that creates this amazing bed of of groove and all these guys are really grooving even though, you know, even though they're not drummers, believe it or not! <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and transistor radio. Josh plays a grooving transistor radio. Let me tell you. No, no, but it, it really it creates a it can create a really unique atmosphere of of rhythmic sounds that I can either kind of play on top of or fit into. Um, so it, it, there's just and then everything in between. And then sometimes there'll be three people playing and one horn player blowing over the top of that. There's there's many different combinations. Um, so I, I think I just get inspiration from the the, the sounds that are created around me, you know. And, and, and I know a lot less about Stockhausen's music, but did, did any of the music that you guys are performing tonight originally have a drum set in it, or was it all orchestral percussion? Or I'm, I'm wondering kind of how you're adapting yourself to, to that reality. Yeah, none that I know of, though I might be corrected. Um, I, I also was not too familiar with Stockhausen's music, and the pieces that we picked... Um, are rhythmically very strong, unless it's like an ambient instructional piece kind of thing. Um, and so the, especially the Zodiac cycle, um, the, the melodies, there's a ton of great rhythmic vocabulary there. So there was no issue translating that to drum set. Um, it, it, it seemed to make sense to me right away. That's great. Red, I just want to ask you about uh, some of the stuff that's coming out of the Warenga Studios workshop there and uh, some of the, the gadgets that you're going to be playing tonight. Will you talk a little bit about those? Sure. Well, um, some of the stuff I've been conceptually working on in my head for, for several years um, since, uh, I guess it was about 
four years, four or five years ago, that I was in The Hague studying at the Institute of Sinology there. And I started working with some ideas um, to uh, basically electronically prepare the piano. And at the same time, I was working with building controllers that would plug into my laptop and then I could somehow use the, the technique of piano playing, but use it to generate electronic soundscapes. Um, and just to, to step in there for a second, how is that different from having a synthesizer? Well, in in one sense, it's it's similar in that your hand gestures um, are you know how loudly you, you are, or rather how how quickly you press a key down affects how loud the, the tone is, or you know. Um, just a basic physical thing like that. The ideal is coming up with something that is uh, physically natural and seems to make sense. Like when I do this motion, it's a bowing sound that comes out. It's just that somehow my physical action results in an appropriate sound. Um, and that's something that, I, that I've struggled with, um, you know, in the past four years. I've, I've built several instruments um, my latest is someone based on the Ondas Martino, um, but it's still sort of a work in progress. What I have tonight, um, I have a couple of crackle boxes. Crackle boxes were um, originally in invented by uh, people at, at Stein in Amsterdam in uh, the 70s, especially uh, Michel Weisfisch, who, uh, who was for many years the, the director of Stein. And uh, Stein has been very interested in using your your um, body motions very physically to connect and generate sound. And in the instance of these crackle boxes, well, there's actually, actually one right here. So let's, um, uh, yeah, your let's... hands basically become part of the circuit. Um, you're you're touching these various touch points. So right now, Josh is, Josh is holding a box, maybe the size of a jewelry box, and it's got six buttons on the front. And as he touches them, they're making these, the various noises that you hear out of the speaker in the, in the top of the box. Yeah, so in, in this case, you're, you're actually becoming part of the circuit. You're intimately involved with the production of, of the sound. Um, can you control what pitches come out of this particular crackle box? Um, in, in a way, you... you um, after playing with it for a while, you, you realize its tendencies, and if you do this, this happens, um, or if you do this and then that, something specific happens. And you said um, tendencies, so that means if you do this, this is likely to happen, or as opposed to, like, if I press A, A is going to sound on it. Yeah, it's, it's not always as direct a one-to-one -one relationship, but that's part of the fun in that you get to explore, and you have an idea what, what may result, but you're not absolutely certain, so it's always a... a I mean, it's in, a, it's in a way just a toy, but it's a very fun toy, and there's something rewarding about physically connecting yourself with the sound, such like that. Um, a couple of the other things that I'm using tonight, one is a large electromagnetic driver, which I'm feeding with audio from my laptop, and that is basically suspended over an octave of piano strings. Um, and I'm basically just sending um, sawtooth waves into that, and through electromagnetism, uh, sounds are generated in, in the piano strings, and it sort of sounds like a pipe organ. Um, that's that's something that I've been working on the last couple of weeks, but that and a couple related 
ideas are, are currently on, on the Weiringa uh, workshop bench. Nice. So, uh, Josh, certainly uh, humor is a big aspect of what Respect does. And, you know, we can talk about Stockhausen and uh, seem very serious about it, although you guys have been laughing a lot. But uh, I want to just ask you a little bit about why humor is as important as it is in what Respect does. It's not a tough question, but it's a tough question to actually answer. For me, um, you know, the reason that humor is important for a lot of people is because it makes them feel more comfortable. Um, For me, you know, I'm... I'm relatively aware of my limitations as a musician, um, and it may, and it just makes me feel better when I'm playing music to to be laughing or having fun, or knowing that there's more going on than just you know, than just music, and a lot of that, and again, a lot of that is just to kind of take the pressure off of me. This is like me personally. For respect, it's just a bunch of funny guys, I think, you know, and so it makes sense that when you hear music by these people, there will be some tendencies to act in that way. Um, and I think that's true with a lot of people. If you meet someone who's completely serious all the time, you you might hear that in their playing. I think it's I think it's a rarity when you really see in someone else something different than who they are um, in their playing. You know, we're, we also have the ability to be serious, so you you hear that a lot. Um, but I think, I think in general, it's just that, that, um, idea we set up for ourselves that anything goes and anything is, is more or less okay. I mean, I can really not think of too many times, if ever, when an idea or someone bringing something in some goofy toy or, you know, let's play this song that everyone knows, but maybe we shouldn't because, you know, like like a good example is James was listening to Andrea Bocelli's version of A Time to Say Goodbye, and he brought it in. He said, "This is a beautiful piece. It's funny, sure, but like to to do like conceptually, it's funny, but but it's also a, it's a pretty piece." And I remember we played it at um, the Rochester Jazz Festival a couple of years ago, and the, people just went nuts. And it was hilarious and funny, and you know yada yada. But it was like the, the funniness. What I love about about this group. 
um, one of the things that I love about this group is that an idea, a little germ of an idea that starts off as so silly and unreasonably so can become concrete uh, without too much pain around the group. So for, so for example, you know, this, this record is one example, which maybe you can talk about the, the germ for like, you know, the title and how this ever all came about. Um, a recent uh, project that we've been working on is called the executive suite. You know, there were four of us, um, uh, Eli, James, Red, and myself, we were all temping at Bear Stearns. And we had discovered this, um, I guess Bear Stearns isn't around anymore, so we can say this now. Um, but, you know, there, th they wouldn't allow, you know, chat functions on the computer, right? So there were blockages all over. But we had discovered, oh, Google Docs, they didn't block the chat function on the spreadsheets. So we thought, oh, this is great. Let's just, you know, I'll meet you on the sheet, you know? <laughs> so we were able to kind of like stay in touch, even though we were all on different floors. Then I think it, it came... To, you know, it came to us, hey, well, we've got these spreadsheets. Let's, like, let's start working on these spreadsheets together, and you can work together. And one of the sheets that came out was um, Clever Tune Titles. And we would spend hours, um, you know, during the workday on Bear Stearns' dime, um, come, just coming up, you know, whenever we thought of something, you know, um, furry with a syringe on top. You know, write it down, put it on the sheet, put it on the sheet. It's, you know, it's funny. And so Red, uh, who I think had been influenced by billionaires for Bush at some point, um, started coming up with these billionaire names because they were funny and, and uh, what more reason do you need? Um, and so we had a bunch of these billionaire names like Ivan Island um, and uh, what is it? I Ivana... Galen O'Bullion. <laughs> Galen O'Bullion. <laughs> but anyway, this became this huge thing. And so we started writing these these tunes around it, you know, like, give us your Ted, your poor, you know, like things that had to do with money, had to do with finance. And then all this business with, you know, finance in America hit. And we're like, this is hilarious. Like, I mean, it's not hilarious, but we have all this, you know, finance-related, money-related material. Let's record it. But all these tunes, you know, they're not – when you say something like it's based on this or – you know, it's it's not really. I mean, it might be it in order to be funnier, um, but for the most part, it's like think of a funny tune. You know, Eli wrote a tune called "Good Morning World," and it was based on it was literally based on lyrics lyrics on uh, words that he saw on the side of a coffee cart outside of Bear Stearns every day. So, "Good Morning World," you know, th that became a song, and he wrote it, and it was like, oh, let's make it like a Maxwell House commercial jingle kind of thing. And that became that, and that was a real thing, and there was no vibe in the band, and it's just like that's what is so uh, fulfilling in this is you can take any stupid idea, and m my wife and I think the other significant others in the band uh, would, would agree with this, that sometimes it just seems so ridiculous, and the only way to make it less so is to actually just do it. Sometimes it makes it more ridiculous, but, but, the, but, it, but it's beautiful that you can actually make it real. Um, that's great. That's something I like. Red? I, I just wanted to say a little thing about the, the, the humor. Um, we've been influenced musically and philosophically by Misha Mengelberg and, and Han Penning. And um, Misha talks about... Tell people real quick who they are. For folks uh, who yeah, of yeah. course. Misha Mengelberg and Han Penning are um, two of the elder statesmen in the Dutch jazz scene. Um, came up in the 60s and actually both uh, were on the uh eric dolphy's last date um in uh, in the, the early mid 60s but they've been hugely influential for for many people but specifically us one um misha for instance talks about 
um, going to the bathroom one moment and having a philosophical thought the next, or at the same time. So, you know, and he, he applies it to his music and we apply it to ours. You know, we can have something funny going on. We can have something very serious going on. They can be one after the other. They can, they can be at the same time. It, 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 it can get very surreal. You can enter into the different worlds based on, on humor, I find. Um, and for Han Benink, um, just seeing him perform for the first time was really eye-opening to me because he would get up and, um, you know, find a broom backstage and, and hit a cymbal with it and then come out riding it. It's like, you can, you can do this stuff. You know, you don't have to always be, be serious. You can, if you're thinking something funny, why not play something funny? You know, if you're, if you're thinking a specific thought, you can do it. This is Josh again. One of, one of the other things that I've been told, um, and this wasn't, uh, this wasn't something that we had intentionally done, but you know, some of the music that we play, if played on its own, would be challenging to listen to, or is challenging to listen to. But especially when we were playing at this coffee shop every week, a lot of people would say that it was so great. You know, they they would leave feeling that it was fun, even this music that's difficult or cha- you know challenging to listen to because it doesn't have a pulse necessarily, or these other kinds of things. And especially mixing in these kinds of things where we play something like that, but then it's but that's not all it is. The next thing we play is you know, a, some march, you know, and it become, you know, we're playing it in a way that's like, we know what's going on. You know, it's hard not to be ironic these days in general, uh, but especially with this band, it's like, we're, we're always a little bit removed from what we play, but not necessarily, <laughs> you know, like when we play jazz, we're playing jazz pretty seriously, but we're also like, Hey, we're playing jazz. I think there's an awareness, um, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, uh, this is Ted. Um, I just wanted to, say that the, playing in this band has, has helped me realize that certain pr- things in music just aren't that important. And I think in whether in uh, straight-ahead jazz or straight-ahead avant-garde music, things get a little too important for their own good, you know. And uh, this group really kind of keeps all that in check. And while we take our musicianship seriously and the way that we play together seriously, um, that's about the only thing we take serious. No, no that's, that's a joke. Um, what am I trying to say? I'm just trying to say that, that, that nothing is sacred in a way, in a, in a good way. And um, it doesn't mean that things are always all over the place, that we're always trying to be destructive or anything. It's just that we have access to that. And it's kind of, it's on the same footing as playing a tune as straight-laced as you, as you could, you know. And, and so to have those two things be equal and equally accessible to the band is a, a really unique feeling, and I, I don't have that feeling in any other band that I play in. Um, for, for us, we, you know, we sometimes refer to free jazz. We refer to free jazz classics. Um, but one of the things that I learned from uh, reading some interview with Misha or just in general from Misha is the idea of free jazz being you know, quite literally free in the sense that you, you can do whatever you'd like. Um, be that playing a very straight-ahead piece, playing something that is not jazz, you know, and I think Stockhausen would agree. Um, I, I have read a couple things of his about intuitive music and he refers to free jazz licks, essentially, you know, even people who claim to be playing free jazz have their thing. And I think it's true. I mean, you can listen and you can hear, oh, that's free jazz. And what it is, is it's these dialects. Um, but, but when you try to be truly free, um, beautiful things can happen, uh, especially when you let 
things that you know and love come through without these kinds of feelings like they can't. Oh, that's great. Ted, well, you've got the mic. Uh, somebody keeping score at home would note that only five people introduced themselves at the beginning of the show. Yes. Uh, will you please talk about who's missing? Uh, James Hirschfeld, the great trombonist, is not here. Um, as Josh mentioned, James uh, was a freshman at, at Eastman um, with myself. We were the, the three of us. Yeah, and that was in the fall of 99. We started at Eastman there um, and was in the original quintet, quartet quintet under Josh's name. Um, and, uh, yeah, well, I don't know. James is, is a, I think an incredibly passionate musician. Like the way he plays the trombone is so soulful. Um, I have to say, I don't always like trombone because it's a silly instrument kind of, I mean, it's physically, <laughs> I mean, let's talk about the trombone. It's, it's a little bit ridiculous. I mean, and <laughs> Stan in Dubuque says, yeah. I'm sure you could say that about any instrument, but, um, but specifically <laughs> yeah, the trombone. Nice try. Um, but you know, no, James just plays it in a very, very personal way, and he um, doesn't waste a note. And it's he adds so much focus and, and direction to the band. Well, uh, it's it's been a pleasure. Um, I've, in the interest of full disclosure, which is actually usually better put at the beginning of the show, I've known all you guys for years, and uh, it's it's been a pleasure for me to to watch the evolution of this band. And I thank you for letting me uh, take some of your time to interview you. So, thanks, and have a great show, guys. Thank you, Jason. Thanks. Should is there anything I show
That's music right there from my good friends in the Respect Sextet. Their new album is called Serious Respect, featuring the music of Sun Ra and Stockhausen. You've been listening to The Jazz Session, the weekly jazz interview show. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of The Jazz Session is also available for free at thejazzsession.com and in iTunes. The Jazz Session has an email mailing list, which is a great way to win free music. You can sign up at thejazzsession.com. And if you're on Facebook, there's also a Facebook group for The Jazz Session, and I do give away music there, too. The theme music for this show, as I already mentioned, is by The Respect Sextet, online at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Rabel, who designed the Jazz Sessions logo. Most of all, thank you so much for listening. Please support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session. Adios The time has come to say adios You and I I hope you'll keep a place for me In your memory As the days go drifting by Adios, adios To me it means farewell to all of the stars That shine in the sky Please let me have one moment more One moment so I can implore Hurry back and let me hold you so close And to all of our tears We'll both say adios